started tonight. Uh, if you want to make your way toward your toward your seat, um, while you while you're doing that, I've been asked to make a, a quick just announcement about a need uh, that's uh, been brought to my attention. John Kackelman here uh, up front uh, asked me about you know could we announce that we need a, a volunteer? There's been a donation of a refrigerator, a microwave, and a stove, but we need somebody who can pick it up and bring it to the pantry, you said, John? Benevolent thing back here, okay. Uh, so the need really is for the pickup and the transport. Uh, that's really what the need is. So if you have abilities in that way, please see John yeah, about that, and then you can coordinate about it. Uh, in just a minute, I'll be asking for prayer requests, so uh, be thinking about that, but uh, but welcome, glad you're here, or glad folks are here. I've uh, been around, we may have a visitor or two with us tonight, and if we do, we're really glad you're here, and we want to extend uh, the opportunity to to you to, if you have any questions about either tonight's lesson or, or anything we do here, uh, certainly we'd be glad to talk to you, you know, about that, and would, would love to, to sit with you and sort of explore what the Bible says together. Um, so let me invite you in that regard and, and just know that that door is, is open. Um, I am aware of a, of a few things, a uh, few individuals, and uh, just through some of the church announcements that have come out on the email, I, I think I saw where Lonnie Keaton had been uh, admitted to the hospital for treatment of some sort of internal infection. I don't know any more other than what the email said about that. Um, also saw where Debbie Turner is still in the hospital, still undergoing some tests. She did come home? Okay, great, great news. Okay, I missed that. Um, and then uh, Mitchell Clifton, the new little baby of uh, Maggie and Blake Clifton, uh, got to come home. Apparently, Billy Ribbon level came down, so that was great news, and we're very thankful for that. Um, are there other prayer requests uh, tonight that we need to make mention of in the prayer? Daniel. Uh, who? I'm sorry again. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Sorry to hear that. Becky Rhodes, him. Okay. All right, um, others. All right, well, let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we are, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come together and to uh, study and look at your word with one another, but also to share with each other about events that are going on in our lives and, and needs that exist, Father. And we just pray your blessings on each situation. You certainly know what is, is best in each of these. We're Prayerful, Father, for Debbie Turner, and uh, thankful she's been able to come home, but certainly pray that they'll be able to get to the bottom of whatever's been going on with her. And we pray for Lonnie Keaton and his treatment of his infection, that that will be very successful. Father, we're thankful that Mitchell Clifton has been able to come home for him and for his parents, and that he has responded to that therapy, and just pray that all goes well for him going forward from now. We pray for Daniel's uh, work friend, Spence Singleton, who's been in a car accident. And pray for his uh, rapid recovery and uh, also for the other person that was involved in, in the accident. 
And Father, we pray for Becky Rhodes in hospice care and pray for her comfort, Father, then be with her and, and be with Tommy also, Father, as they go through this very challenging time for them. Father, we pray um, ongoingly for an end to this pandemic uh, that we're dealing with and certainly pray that it will come to an end. And we're thankful, Father, for uh, those that have had the virus that have gotten better. And we certainly pray for more of that and pray for protection uh, as we go forward. Father, we thank you for all of the blessings we have in Jesus. And we just pray, Father, that you'd forgive us of our sins and, and de defeat us, Father, in things that are wrong. and Help us to only do and, and be able to move forward with things that are right. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to set this over to the side, but let me encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to pick back up there tonight. Um, most of y'all are very aware that you were here last uh, week, and uh, we talked about the first section of that chapter, uh, looking at some of the guidance that was given around prayer, but specifically looking at uh, some of the mention that was made of of God wanting all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we looked at the uh, some of the implications around that and looked at how that even relates to some of the common sorts of sayings that, that maybe even some of us have said that uh, may not imply the exact meaning that we mean to imply by that and just encouraging all of us to, uh, to be careful about that. So um, we did look at that last week. Tonight we're going to look at sort of the second part of that second chapter of 1 Timothy. Um, <clears throat> that that chapter as, as a whole, just to back up just a little bit, uh, you know, it, it mentions, it starts out with the statement, first of all, uh, and you certainly get the impression that there uh, there's a structure that's being followed by uh, Paul as he writes this, uh, where he's addressing different issues. Uh, you know, he, he starts out with a first of all when he talks about prayer and, and mentions that verse about God wanting all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, so that is how it starts, but then uh, and, and toward the last part, verse 8, he makes mention of uh, men everywhere raising holy hands in prayer. Uh, but verse 9, which is where we'll start tonight, he says, likewise. Uh, so he's, he's sort of moving on uh, in the instructions he's giving, and, and he's turning his attention here to, to women and, and the role of women in the church. So, uh, so he does say that in verse 9 when he says, likewise. And now let's, let's read that section and and just to make sure we have a, a common uh, memory of uh, what we were talking about. So tonight it's um, uh, verses 9 through 15. Uh, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity, uh, with self-restraint. Um, <clears throat> so again, uh, a lot is here, right? I mean, just like last week, I mean, there's a lot here and, and it relates to a lot of other things. And we're going to uh, sort of build different pieces of this at a time and, and then sort of bring it together closer toward the end. So uh, just, just hang in there with me as we go along. I've already mentioned that 
when he used the word likewise, that he was sort of shifting uh, to having a discussion more about uh, women and, and that sort of thing. So uh, when he when he starts this, though, he he brings up the, the point about women being what what are they going to be known by? You know, what what do you want to be known by? Uh, do you want to be known by uh, these uh, material things, you know, gold and costly garments and that sort of thing? Uh, or as he recommends or commands, you know, be, be known, be adorned. Uh, I love that word, be adorned with good works. Uh, and, and let that be what you're known by, certainly his, his command. Um, you know, one way to think about that, I think, is uh, if, you know, if, if you use worldly things um, to attract attention, well, well, what kind of attention are you likely to get? You're likely to get worldly attention. Uh, and from people that have worldly motives. Now, you know, he's, he's not necessarily condemning all of those things. He's saying they have, a, they have their place. And, and the greater value is what? The greater value is to be uh, known by and be adorned by good works. Well, guess what, guys? That same principle applies to us. You know, I don't, I don't think we necessarily ought to strive to be known by the fine jewelry or the fine clothing that we have, but... Uh, we want to be adorned by what? Good works. We want to be about what, what God wants us to do. So um, I think that's an important thing to be reminded of here also. Now, the, the second thing I want to pull out from this passage is, is the part where he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. For right now, and we're going to get to the whole statement, but for right now, I want to make special emphasis on this where he says receiving instruction. You know, a woman must quietly receive instruction. In the uh, first century world, and really multiple centuries before that, I, I don't find this to be a, a biblical principle, uh, but the way Jewish society was practiced by and large is women were not instructed uh, around the Scripture the way men were. And when Paul makes this command about receiving instruction, you know, we, we think in our version of this, and we want to go right to, well, roles of women and roles of men and that sort of thing. For just a moment, stop and think about, uh, this was a big deal that women were, uh, that the, the command was given for women to receive instruction. You know, they, they are seen as very valuable, and their knowledge is very valuable. Think about what we said earlier in this chapter when we said, you know, God desires what? All men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, I don't think he was just talking about men. He was talking about all people, right? All people being saved and coming to a knowledge of the truth. Well, this is a more specific point of this. So if, if, if someone had come out of Judaism, they couldn't read this and say, well, we don't need to train women. No, quite the opposite. We, we do. And, and this is part of the point that uh, is being made here. Now, the, the part that talks about quietly receiving instruction. Um, interesting to me that this is, there is an explicit point being made here about that. Evidently, this was an issue uh, at that time, uh, maybe in some ways like what we deal with today. And, and, you know, people never change, right? I mean... We see the same thing sort of play out over and over again, and that, that's one of the reasons why, not the only reason why, but one of the reasons why the Bible is, is timeless, uh, because uh, people play out some of the same things over and over again. Um, I, I don't know that this is a, 
significant issue at, at our congregation. And I, and I don't want to, I told you before, I don't like to have a whole lot talked about about something that's not an issue with us. Uh, but it is an issue in the sense of who we might interact with and who might ask us questions or who we might want to share with about the gospel and what does the Bible say about various things. So uh, I do think it is an important topic for us to discuss, uh, certainly because of, of who we might interact with today. So we're going to delve a little bit deeper into that. First, I'd like to make just some, some general observations um, about the roles of, of men and women. First of all, the topic itself. You know, clearly men and women are uh, gifted with various talents. Uh, many men and women have strong leadership abilities. They have strong abilities to teach. Many men and women have abilities to be uh, compassionate, to be empathetic, uh, to convey a lot of different uh, very useful things in our society. Uh, so, you know, it's not necessarily about uh, that somebody has something that somebody else doesn't have. It's, it's not that, because we, we see people that have uh, these sorts of gifts in uh, both genders. Uh, but knowing this, the way the, the world might look at that is say, well, then why don't you reflect that in the church? Uh, you know, knowing that, why, don't, why, why doesn't the church reflect everybody in doing the same sorts of things? And um, so... Uh, you know, the, the world is sort of asking that question and saying, why are you so, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say this word back to me, but I've, I've heard this word used to describe some things about Christianity. Why are you being so countercultural? Well, you know, there are a lot of things about Christianity that are countercultural, right? Uh, certainly putting the needs of others above yourself is a, is a countercultural idea. Um, you know, not being greedy, not being fill in the blank. I mean, there are a lot of things that are countercultural. But on this issue in particular, if we're going to be countercultural, I think it's really important for us to understand why. You know, why is it that way? And to be able to, to describe what are those reasons. And, you know, we're talking about making a, a big statement and, a, and it's a big difference from the world. Well, it's important that we have reasons to do why we do what we do. And, and it's important that those reasons don't just change with the culture, right? Because whatever our culture is today, and I started saying 50 years, it'll be something else. At the rate we're going right now, I think it's five or 10 years, right? Seems like it's just changing very rapidly. But, um, but, but the reasons that we have for what we do should be reasons that don't shift with the culture because the culture is constantly shifting. So that's, that's the first observation uh, the second observation I'd like to make is about the, the world versus the church. And that is, uh, you know, clearly um, many of you, I know I have in, in my past, I have worked in environments where, where, where my boss was, was female. I didn't have any problem with that. Matter of fact, the best boss I had the time I was at Medicaid was, was female. But, but it's, it's different, right? I mean, the, the situations in the world are different. When we, we read the Bible and what the Bible is talking about are um, not the roles in society, but they're talking, the Bible is talking about uh, in this context, in this subject, it's relating to uh, roles in the church and, and how folks interact and, and deal with one another in the church. So that's, that's my second sort of observation. Third observation would be this, and that is <clears throat> uh, even if we were meeting on our old schedule, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we're almost there, maybe 
Um, but even if we were meeting on that schedule, the amount of time that we spend assembled together is a pretty small fraction of the week. Right? The majority of the week is what? Outside of our assemblies. And how we live outside of our assemblies is a very vital concern of the Scripture. Now, there are, are the world might say, well, yeah, but it's those few hours that matter the most. Well, the world might say that, but, but how often does the world get it wrong, right? I mean, the world gets it wrong pretty often. And, and just because the world says something is most important, most of the time Christianity is what? The, the opposite of that. You know, and certainly a lot of Scripture is dedicated toward how we live our lives every day. Now, I'm not saying that the time we are assembled together is not important. and not saying that it's not a uh, time that has uh, certain regulations given from God. But I am saying that there's a whole lot of other time in the week where we can express our gifts. Many opportunities that exist outside of our assemblies for men and women to express the gifting that we have. So, um, so I would encourage you to, to keep that in mind also. And then finally, the fourth observation I'd write down is about men fulfilling their roles. I do think a lot of the conflict that occurs about this particular topic not all of it, but a lot of it, I think would go away if men would faithfully and vigorously fulfill their roles. Now, we're blessed here at Delray. I think a lot of that does go on at Delray, but it's not true everywhere. And I think there are a lot of situations where, where men may step back when they need to step forward and they relinquish some of the responsibilities that they've been given uh, from God. It's just my own personal opinion about something, though, I, just an observation. I do sometimes wonder if, if men weren't given the responsibilities they are given by God, how much they really would be involved at church. I don't know. I may be wrong. I may be surprised by that. Um, but, I, but I do know that there are uh, religious groups out there where, where men seem to step back more than they step forward. So I think that's another uh, consideration uh, in this. So those are just some observations I wanted to make before we dig into this deeper. Now, oh, keep your Bibles open. First Timothy chapter two. I want to look more closely at verses 11 through 14. There it says a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. A few key words I want to look at as we continue to sort of build uh, this, this presentation that, that we're working through right now. In this set of passages, I want you to look at the word quiet. Quiet is used in verses 11 and 12, and it, and it sort of gets our attention there. Uh, but think back with me for a minute. Look at your Bibles. Look at that same chapter. Look in verse 2 of, of that same chapter. What does it say one of our goals are in general? Is to what? Lead a tranquil and quiet life. Well, quiet, quiet is not silent. I don't know of anyone that expects all of us to be silent all the time. So the the quiet word that is used is, is of a particular demeanor. Uh, some, some dictionaries would say of a quiet demeanor or 
um, what's the other word they use, lack of disturbance or quiet spirit. Uh, when, when you mention the word quiet, and, and I try not to get too much into Greek words, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I won't get into that too much. A little bit later on, I will mention a Greek word or two, but, but the word here is quiet, as opposed to silence. That'll be important in a little bit as we go a little bit further. It also mentions exercise authority. Well, what is authority? Authority is, is someone who, who can exercise independent authority, who can give direction, who um, can give orders, I guess you might say, or give whatever. Um, so the, the word, uh, the phrase about exercising authority is, is what we would think it would be today. Now, is the only reason, and I raise this as a question because you'll hear this question, is the only reason Paul gives this particular command because of the culture that existed? Remember, Timothy's in Ephesus. Is, he, is the only reason he gives this command is because of the culture in Ephesus. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned, I, I started to give you a really complicated answer. I'm going to give you another really complicated answer. The answer is no. Now, now, why do I know that? I mean, it's easy for me to say no, but why do I know that? You know, how do we know that? Why would I say that? Well, what does is, what is the Holy Spirit guide Paul to write here? I mean, right after this command, he does what? He appeals to, to creation. He, he goes all the way back to creation. He talks about Adam being formed first, then Eve. He talks a little bit about the deception in the garden that went on. Uh, but he goes all the way back to, to creation. Well, the story of creation doesn't change no matter how many times the culture changes. Oh, the culture might say it changes. I, I'm not saying that. But, but the story of creation does not change as the culture changes. And the reason that Paul, is guided by the Holy Spirit here, writes as a basis for these commands he's giving is, is a reason that goes all the way back to creation. Now, let's talk a little bit about that reference to creation. You know, in biblical writing, it's pretty common, actually, for there to be a reference made back to creation. Think about Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus himself is addressing the issue of divorce. And when he's addressing the issue of divorce, part of what he does is he goes all the way back to creation. He says what? In the beginning, God created them both male and female. Well, Later in the New Testament, there is a comparison made between Jesus and the church. That relationship is compared to what? Marriage. Right? It's compared to men and women in marriage. Again, tying it to marriage, which subsequently goes back to creation. So guess what? There are many biblical teachings. These are just a few. There are many biblical teachings that go back to the story of creation and what happened how that established certain things from the very beginning. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I'm going to take just a sip of water, y'all. Hang on just a bit. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look at verses 22 through verse 33. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. The point being, creation and the created order is important. It's important to a lot of biblical teaching. And it's certainly pointed out here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to be important to this issue of roles of, of men and women. So, um, so I did want to go back and, and point that out just a bit. Now, I have a natural question. Let's see if I went the wrong way here. All right, there's a natural question that comes out of this. And the, and the question is this, and I'll just read it to you as I wrote it out. Uh, one of the real world questions that often gets asked today is, why can women comment in mixed Bible classes but not lead in worship assemblies? Now, y'all, I, I, there are a lot of different things you could talk about in this lesson. What The reason I've sort of picked on this particular question is because I think it is an issue that all of us at least have thought about in some way or another or tried to rationalize in our own head what we do. Uh, but again, I think it is important for us to have a, a clear understanding of, of what the Bible teaches around this. There are many other topics that we could talk about relative to the roles of the genders in the church. So uh, some of those we'll get into a little bit uh, next time when we talk about in chapter 3, the uh, offices of elder and deacon and that sort of thing. Uh, but for right now, uh, I wanted to really sort of focus in on this particular question because, frankly, this is a question I hear. Uh, and I hear people uh, maybe give a, a vaguer answer to this question uh, than, than really Scripture would allow. Um, so so let's, let's delve into this question a little bit more and um, remind you again of how already in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the second part, we've looked at the word quiet and we've looked at how at, at the way it's used in this point, comparing it back to, comparing verses 11 and 12 back to verse 2, quiet is not meaning silent, but quiet is meaning uh, of a particular demeanor and in that reference. So, uh, so that's the, the backdrop, backdrop to this question. Now, let's look, let's look a little bit deeper at this. There is another prominent passage related to this, and, and that's what we want to look at now. So again, take your Bibles. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, when you talk about 1 Corinthians and, and this particular section of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, remember, the chapters are added by men. Uh, so, you know, again, this was all written in a continuous script. So, uh, but, but as a way of referencing this topic, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, you see a lot addressed about our assemblies, and particularly the worship assembly, and what goes on and what can go on during that time period. 
Um, and we're going we're gonna to deal with that and look at that as we go along. I do want to point out a couple of things though, that I want to highlight in this. The first part of chapter 11 is talking a bit about head coverings and that, but, but in verse 17, look at verse 17. Uh, this is where there's a shift in this discussion. In verse 17, he says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. The reason why I point out these couple of verses is because it's here that Paul shifts the discussion to really begin to focus in on what's happening during the assembly. You know, the church, uh, church is a word that's used to really describe the assembly of the saints. So here he's beginning to shift to talk about what happens during the assembly. Now, the second set of verses I want to point out, flip over a page or two to chapter 14. When you look at chapter 14, I want to look at verses 27 through 34. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. So again, very specific instructions. And we're going to look more closely, but I still want to get through the structure of his discussion here. We, we talked about chapter 11, verse 17 and 18, where he begins to focus on what happens in this assembly. We're looking at chapter 14 right now, where he describes what can happen as far as uh, the different people that speak and, and who shouldn't speak. And of course, it's not just women here, right? I mean, that's not what's only described here. Uh, and then the last part of this structure I want to look at is the very last verse in chapter 14, because then he goes through another transition uh, in going into the first verse of chapter 15. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. In other words, he's moving on to a different focus in what he's saying. So there's the other transition. So, so chapter 11 starting about verse 17, going all the way through the end of chapter 14, is a, has a lot to say about Christians assembling together. Now, let's talk about purposes. Let's talk about purposes. Most of y'all know my wife and I are empty nesters now. Uh, when we sit down to have dinner in the evening... Number one, we don't always sit down together to have dinner. <laughs> but when we do sit down to have dinner together in the evening, it's, it's the two of us and it's food and it's a meal. Well, I would say to you that's very different from we're going to have a meal together to celebrate our anniversary. Maybe we go out for that meal. Maybe we don't go out for that meal. But, but we recognize that it is to celebrate our anniversary. 
Yeah, we've been married 39 years. Lord willing, next year be 40, right? So when we sit down for that meal, that'll be a special meal, special time. Well, really, you're talking about the same two people sort of doing the same thing. They're sharing a meal. But those are two very different purposes, right? And the meal that, that we had yesterday evening was nice. The meal on the 40th anniversary, I hope, is, is real nice, right? But, but different purposes, now, I don't know how many of y'all did this, a little bit different here, different focus now. I don't know how many of y'all did this as children, but some children play like they're, they're baptizing one another, right? I mean, you may have one that you know stands over somebody, says a few words, plunks them under the water and brings them back out, and, and they're not really baptizing. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're playing. Okay, well, later in life, after being uh, understanding what they need to understand about Scripture, after being convicted to make a decision for the Lord, you pretty much do the same thing, right? But, but different purpose. Different purpose, different focus. So, so it is possible to do something that looks very similar, but yet be different. So, so why, why go into that? Well, we assemble for different purposes. Sometimes we assemble for worship. You know, worship. We, we assemble and... Um, we are focusing our energies toward worshiping God. Sometimes we assemble for, maybe not as much as in the past, but look forward to it again. Sometimes we assemble for a fellowship meal, right? And, um, and it's to what? What's the purpose of that assembly? The purpose of that assembly is to, to, to know one another better, to build relationships with one another in a way that we may not be able to at other times. But it's still an assembly, maybe of the whole church, right? Coming together to have a fellowship meal. So it's a different purpose. Uh, but it is an assembly. Well, what about class? We can't all assemble. Now, tonight, it's just part of us, right? But, but we could all assemble for, for a class. And, and in our classes, we're doing what? By and large, we're training one another. We're learning from one another about how to be more pleasing to God. And that's an important function that needs to go on. Same people involved, but, but different purpose. So I think there are different purposes for the assemblies we have, and we have to be careful uh, as we sort of think about that and, and what does that mean. So, so let's talk about worship just a bit. Um, you know, I said 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting about verse 17 and going through 14, really talks about a time period where they gathered together to worship. Well, why do I know that? Well, because he spends a significant amount of time talking about what? Talking about how they... I was afraid it was me, I'm sorry. Uh, spends a significant amount of time talking about how they take the Lord's Supper. Well, one of the main reasons we come together is to do what? In worship, is to take the Lord's Supper. Well, that's what that he was giving instruction about that then. Um, another reason that we know, um, again, you can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 one more time. Look at one particular verse there. Uh, verse 25. Uh, and there he's, he's referencing an unbeliever. Mine, my version says, or an ungifted man might enter this sort of assembly and experience, quote, uh, the secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. In other words, he might feel that, that uh, well, I've got to make a decision here. What's his natural reaction? His natural reaction is to do what you're doing, and that is you're worshiping God. You know, you're assembled together to worship God. And so this, this section is, is really focused on that. Now, in this section of Scripture, 
several people are told to be silent. Did you notice that as we read through it? Several people are told to be silent. When he mentions speaking in tongues, in verse 27, he says, what, at most two or three. But even in verse 28, he says, if there's no interpreter, the tongue speakers are to remain silent. So there are, and so there are gifted people, men included, who are told to remain silent. Verse 29, prophesying two or three, and then let the others pass judgment. Well, verses 30 through 32 says, well, you know, uh, the prophesying must be done at one at a time, and the others are what? They're, they're silent. Well, it means silent. I mean, when you, the Greek word I was mentioning earlier, the Greek word that's used is syageo, S-I-G-A-O, I believe, and it means silence. That's what it's referencing there. So again, in contrast to what we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, we see limitations placed on women, but not only on women, also on men, in terms of expressing the things that they're gifted with. So it's not uh, just women, but women are definitely part of that. Um, and then uh, the word uh, for when the men are told to be silent is that the silence word, and the for when women are told to be silent is the silence word. Um, so, Again, the purpose there is the worship toward God. That assembly is about the worship toward God. Well, uh, there are clear guidance. There are passages about clear guidance about uh, who shouldn't speak during that time period. And, and it's in that context that, that you know, there is guidance given about women being silent. Now, what about the other assemblies I mentioned earlier? You know, we talked about fellowship meals and, and that sort of thing where the whole church might be assembled together. Well, the purpose is different. And there's a lot of chatter there amongst everybody, right? Or hopefully there is. Well, the other assembly I mentioned is what? Is class. Where we're, where we're training one another in terms of how we're to be obedient to God and what God's Word tells us to be. So it's a, a different purpose of an assembly. But, Outside of that worship assembly, guess what? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 still applies. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says what? Women are to be quiet, but it also says what? They're not to teach or exercise authority over men. Well, that applies. So, we welcome, and tonight I haven't welcomed much opportunity for anybody to come in, I recognize that, but we welcome those comments during this time period because it is we're gathered together for a different purpose. And I, and I think that's an important part of, of what's there. So we want to be biblical in what we're doing and we want to be fully biblical in terms of what the Bible teaches us. So the principle of uh, women not teaching or having authority over men is recognized in Bible class, uh, in a mixed Bible class. It's also recognized in worship, but in worship there is a command related to silence and we've talked about that. I do want to real briefly touch about Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, uh, if you want to turn there. Because many people look, point to this verse and they go, well, we're all the same. We all should be able to do everything. So let's look at that verse. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, you know what? They weren't all the same. Uh, a Jew and a Greek was not the same. Their life was not the same. A slave and a free person, their life was not the same. 
Well, men and women, their lives were not the same. But the purpose of this passage is what? Oneness. Being one in Christ. And we have a parallel. Uh, One of the parallels I would point to is in the uh, prayer that Jesus offers in John 17, where he prays for all the believers and all the believers to come that they may be what? One. Like who? Like Jesus and the Father are one. Well, Jesus, the Son, and the Father are both deity, but they're not the same. But they have what? They have oneness. So when you look at Galatians chapter 3, I would encourage you to think about oneness is what's being taught there. The goal is to us to be one. It's not that we're the same. Okay, has the first bell rang or the second bell? First bell. Buckle up. <laughs> Childbearing. Let's look at the last part of this uh, particular chapter. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Well, there's some principles involved in this. The first principle I would point out is, um, let's think about the best way for me to say this, is even though we've just talked about some of the roles of men and women and how they're not the same, it is true that women and men have the same opportunity to be saved. We've seen that even in this chapter. Uh, we've certainly seen it in other biblical verses uh, that the same opportunity is to, be, is to be saved is there for men and women. The other thing I would say relative to this verse is we've got to wrap, you've got to understand, okay, well, not every woman has a child. And God wants all to be saved. So there must be something else going on here, right? Now, I know there are some differing thoughts about how to interpret this particular scripture, but here here would be my summary of it. Many women at that time died in childbirth. Today, it's unusual. Maybe even, you might even call it rare, but but we've known people that have had that happen. But, But then it was common. It was a common occurrence. Well, uh, let me read this just so I'll make sure I I will convey to you what I wanted to write. Um, So the first point is that many women died in childbirth. The second point is that Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is still true. What? We're saved by grace through faith. It doesn't say anything about childbirth. So then, what I would say relative to verse 15 is that if women have an obedient faith, then even in childbirth that may have had a bad outcome, their souls are going to be saved or preserved. If if they have been what what we should all aspire to be, right? We should all aspire to be faithful and obedient to God. So I think the preservation is that even though childbirth might cost you your your life, it's not going to cost you your soul. I don't know. That would have been welcome news to me if I were female at that time. This is also, I wrote, this is also consistent with the rest of this verse because it says in the verse, it says they'll be preserved, what? If they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So it still hinges it around an obedient faith. uh, And that is the description there. So I know we've ran through a lot tonight and um, didn't really give you any opportunity to comment about it. Certainly be glad to answer any questions. And some of you all may have a different approach to this issue or this topic. Would love to have that discussion with you. Um, 
but encourage you to study it very carefully for yourself and, and let's center ourselves on what the Scripture says. But, but thank you very much and I'll end with one last picture. All right, thanks a lot.